You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse, Earful of Dirt is the only podcast dedicated to Major League Rugby. Now, coming to you live from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Aaron Castro, coming to you live out of Arizona. Humble home. Then I've got Victor and Dan up in NYC. Josh in Denver. He was the deployed member of the team this weekend. And Corey Munson in Iowa. So check him out on Twitter. Get at EODpod and the hashtag. EOD pod. I guess it's earful of dirt, rather. Add earful of dirt and hashtag EOD pod. Are you monitoring Discord tonight or are we not doing that? No, I guess. All right. So, how's everyone? Oh, he, is. he is. Oh, he is. He is. Oh, he is. Yeah. So, if you were on our discussion channel called Discord, uh, check that out. I guess uh, Corey's going to monitor that one and uh, the comments on YouTube as well. So, how's everyone else doing? Yeah. Pretty good. Same doing answer okay as well. every single weekend. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Josh, did you get um, eaten by a bird? <laughs> no, but the wind wind took a good chunk out of me. <laughs> no. uh, um, for those new to the podcast, each Monday night we discuss news and rumors from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union competition. It's a chance to discuss issues, hear from the league, Team leadership, check in with all of you across the rugby season. Um, you know, Dan's going to take it off the top right here, and then we'll get into the game. Yeah, so jumping off for today, um, a game took place this weekend. It was it was the first ever streamed MLR versus MLR team uh, match, I'm sorry. Uh, Glendale Raptors took on Nola Gold. Spoiler, they won um, in Glendale. And that was pretty much kind of a big chunk from the past week. There really wasn't too much news. ARC is done now, so we're kind of moving on a bit and talking, kind of focusing more on the actual season coming up in about a month and a half. So uh, one sort of talking point that come up is is really how MLR is going to, you know, affect USA Rugby and especially the Eagles. So that's something that we want to get into a bit later. Um, there was some big news about The Bachelor, not um, – not the show where apparently the bachelor was a total jackass and did something, but we have a bachelor in Houston. So that was just sort of uh, some fun news down there and then just typical player signings and some more fun stuff. So let's get into it, Aaron. So uh, like Dan said, we had a game um, full time was Glendale 38 and Nola 14. Uh, so NOLA New Orleans traveled up to Glendale and, you know, we're into it. So, you know, you know, the first quarter, to be honest, I want to, I just want to get into this. Glendale played a lot of ugly rugby from like the very beginning to the very end. Uh, I expect, I think we all think that they're going to be, they're the odds on favorite because the team, the core of it has been together for two years. And then a bunch of those guys have been in the Glendale program for a lot longer. So the chemistry should be good. The coaching staff is pretty good. So 
a couple guys in the stampede too. Yeah. So I mean, eleven caps, Eagles. Think about that. Pretty good. You know. So you expect them to lead the way when it comes to the league and the quality of the game they're going to play. Yes, it was their first run out, but they've played high level competition throughout the, you know, the fall. In fact, probably the toughest schedule of any team up until like November. So Uh, throughout the first 10 minutes, it was just a lot of cross-kicking, man, like pinning your opponent back on offense to the point where, like, the fullback just has to kick back out and trading kicks and trading kicks, very monotonous, uh, a lot of defense. And I think for for New Orleans, they really spent their energy. Uh, Nate Osborne plays a, the uses the blitz defense, which, you know, brings in a lot of guys to challenge at the rucks so that you can reduce the width of the offense so that they don't get that overload uh, when they're trying to push the ball out from the ruck. Uh, but by playing that intensely and that close to the line, I think it gassed them out pretty early. And, you know, we start to see things open up. Uh, Bryce Campbell scores a try uh, off this uh, scrum that was pretty close and – you know, it was pretty quick, and you just see the the chemistry between uh, Sean Davies, Will McGee, and Bryce Campbell from having played together and been in camp together for six weeks and also having, you know, been that combination for a very long time before just even, you know, the last five weeks. And, you know, there, there's a little bit more defense, but the ball started to not go in the air and – you know, Nola tried to challenge, but really couldn't. And, you know, one of the things on most of the lineouts that Glendale had, even if they weren't close to, you know, the try zone, they, they formed up malls and just punished Nola. Did you guys see that? Because I think that was – I think the intent was to try and get a 50-meter driving mall one time. I don't think it ever ended up happening, but there were at least a couple midfield malls. Uh, that came about. Some of them ended pretty quickly, but that's A for effort right there. Um, so, and then I think where you sort of knew like this game was going to take a different a different turn, or rather not a different turn, but more or less succeed towards Glendale was uh, their pace started to pick up, and rather than just playing more or less in their backfield, and I would say to an extent messing around uh, with their opponent. Um, they get a mall off a line out and Zach Finolio just walks it in for a try. And although Will McGee misses his conversion, there really isn't much of a threat from uh, Nola throughout the rest of the half. But we're, we're only 25 minutes in. So, damn, what, do you, what, what were your, you know, observations from the middle of this game? Yeah, I mean, I mean, even up to this point, um, I expected Glendale to win from the get-go. Um, but really seeing this for the first 20, 25 minutes, they, I mean, they did score two tries, so it was a lot closer than I thought it would be. I thought they would, they would score uh, much earlier on. But as you said, they were, you know, Glendale was actually pretty sloppy, despite the fact that you could clearly see that they were controlling the game more than Nola was. Um, but really, like you said, there, there was... 
lots of kicking going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. It was sort of like a ping pong, just back and forth again. Um, but finally, uh, the man of the match, Harley Davidson, he uh, revved up his engines, came right in for a try. Um, I think it was around 32 minutes or 34 minutes, just close to right before the half, ran right in. It was a, it was a beautiful try, too. It, it actually reminded me a lot of the Mattias try when he was against Canada. Just slipped right on the wing, threw some players, and, and an epic dive right into the try zone. So that was really beautiful. Um, but then Nola actually got right back into it. They scored just a couple minutes later, right before the half, 39 minutes. Matt Houston scored, bringing the final um, halftime score to 19-7. Um, so like I said, you know, Glendale up until this point was really controlling a lot. But at the same time, you know, despite being down 19-7, I, I didn't really feel like Nola was out for the most part. And, you know, I did see the ball. Um, at least Nola had the ball on Glendale's half quite a lot. And I really think that they, they gave up a lot of missed opportunities. You know, they, there was no one yeah. had a chance to for it to be closer. I mean, they had oh, definitely they had uh, two penalties that they did not convert uh, much earlier in the half. So mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah, and then even right after that too, right after the half, I think about two minutes in. Davidson came back in and scored again. So it was, it was really a quick kind of go. Um, this one being a bit of a different try, though, because um, what happened was Glendale just started marching down the, down the field, and there was just a massive overload. And you could see the, the, the NOLA players just kind of sprinting towards the side, and it was just basically just playing hands at that point. And Davidson just took it, just dotted it down right in the corner. Um, it was a great job by Glendale, but you could really see that the, um, the NOLA defense was really just – off balance and from there there really wasn't much going back i mean like i said it kind of felt like a bit of a back and forth because glendale i think i think partly because glendale was playing pretty sloppily but they still controlled it they still took it over and then it was really their game from here on out what do you say victor well guys it was as expected glendale obviously was going to come into the game to prove their medal versus nola and they did Again, score was 38 to, to 14. But at the beginning of the match, let's be honest with each other, it looked kind of even to a certain extent. Goal was trying to sort of match uh, the Raptors to a certain extent. But once those 19 minutes passed by and Bryce Campbell scored the first try, the floodgates opened and it, it, just, uh, it just went after that. Uh, by the way, Harley Davidson was uh, had a great match, was the Raptor of the match, as they say. And for good reason, kid was, uh, kid was killing it. And actually, I was making a couple of jokes on, on Discord uh, when we were watching the match that uh, whenever Harley Davidson scores, we need to have like a broom sound or a motorcycle revving up just for the fact that his name is Harley Davidson. Yeah, I was so, really upset. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was, <laughs> I was really upset that there's no motorcycle reference. There's no, you know, you don't so see Dave, a motorcycle so in the Dave background. Power has all these... Wacky. I'm not going to call them uncouth, but some people would call them uncouth, like color commentary references. But like this one, that, that was like gift wrapped. His name is Harley Davidson. Just, you know. Take advantage of it, right? Just take it, you know? Of course. I completely agree. It's, it's gift wrap. Just like the uh, the man of the match gift at the very end. Gift wrap for Harley Davidson. It's all a big cycle. There you go. <laughs> 
it works out. No, it is. It really was a missed opportunity. Um, and you know, I, I said this before, but I really don't know why. Cause it was 38, 14, it was 26, seven at one point. Um, Nola only scored their second try with like five minutes left in the entire match. It was clearly a blowout. Unlike the Sabercats when they, when they beat Nola, it was, I think like 30 to 12 or something like that. It wasn't, yeah. it was much closer than the scoreline gave. This one was definitely a blowout, but for some reason I still really felt like Nola was in the game. I don't really know how, how to explain that, but do you guys ever feel that way? Maybe so, um, I mean, based on how they played in the first quarter, uh, you know, they were in the game. Like they were able to stop and force, uh, you know, to an extent force Glendale to be patient and be tactical, which was very annoying because I wanted to see a very aggressive attack from Glendale. I wanted to see, what they could do and what I thought they could do. And I think to an extent it might've forced uh, that, that style early on that, you know, I said gassed them because a uh, word of advice to uh, all MLR teams that are going to travel to Denver. Uh, don't get there the day before get there. High. either If you're going to get there late, you're either going to show up right on time, like get off the plane and hit the pitch or get there like three days before so that you can acclimate to the area, you know, go out, practice hard, uh, and breathe that thin air. But, uh, and you know, I think that really affected them, not necessarily because people talk about the humidity. Well, I don't think the humidity in new Orleans in the winter is really that much of a factor, but, uh, in the summer it might be helpful because they're going to be breathing dense air. And it might, it'll just make it harder to practice and harder to train. So if they travel to, you know, Glendale for, you know, let's say the semis, um, well, they're going to be training in a harder environment than the crisp mountain air that uh, good old from Josh the, has. From the bayou up to the mile high, the Rocky Mountains, it's going to be crazy. But I think also a, a big part of the reason why, it, like especially the last 10 to 15 minutes, just kind of turned straight to – pure slop fest and just utter chaos, at least in my mind. Um, they purposely had a lot of replacements coming in. So even though they both teams were taking this very seriously, it still was preseason. Uh, Glendale actually had 25 guys on the roster. And I think once the half came around, Davies came off maybe five minutes after, and then uh, whoever the backup scrum half came right in. So I think this added a lot into – you know, they, they brought people in <clears throat> right away. Um, this sort of messed up the groove and added into that sort of, you know, mess going on there. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was very interesting is like, uh, well, Chris Asmus, you know, I mean, you and I both have comments on this. Uh, personally, I thought he, he, he reffed a really good game. I, and like I said earlier, I think Glendale played very undisciplined and they took three yellows. Uh, the fact that they still, you know, beat uh, Nola by, you know, um, 24 points uh, says a lot because they played the game with 14 guys on the pitch for 25 minutes. So yeah. almost half the game. 
Well, yeah. not almost, but well, hey, to be fair, there. that first one was because Casey Rock's freaking tall. Well, so the first one on the replay, I felt that uh, you could have gotten away with it. You know, he, it wasn't. He it called wasn't, direct, so I wasn't. Uh, was, it wasn't what that, was it, wasn't that really egregious for me. What was the call on that one again? I, I missed. Uh, high tackle. It was high tackle, but he caught. He went straight yellow because it was direct to the neck. It didn't like come up to the neck. Yeah. He called it okay. because he just hooked him right on the neck. Yeah. Yeah. And then I know there there were two others with John Quill and Luke White. Luke White's actually was my favorite because I think Dan Power was saying as they're trying to figure out what's going on, he's like, Luke White, he's the nicest guy ever. Yellow card. It's like, oh, uh, <laughs> okay then. Never mind. <laughs> so it was really bad timing by him. But yeah, I, I really actually, I found it sort of funny, but it was actually really good to see that he was basically playing the, the whole philosophy of keep it strict and then you can stretch it out, you know, as the season gets along. It's, or I think they say like, um, it's like a rubber band where if you keep, if you have it stretched out to begin with and you play loose, you can't really, you know, unstretch it. Well, that was um, a, so that was a comment, uh, uh, he made that Grant, comment too. Grant and I had some discussions about this. Like, you, I mean, you guys should uh, follow his Facebook page because he has stuff to say. But he talked about how MLR needs to get all of their players coaching certified and ref certified, at least AR certified, so that they understand the law. Because if you remember, not this Six Nations, but last Six Nations, Italy uh, didn't contend at the Ruck. So that there was no offside line, <laughs> you know, established. And uh, James Haskell and Old Farrell are trying to like talk to Poit, and he's like, "It's not my fault. You don't know the rules." <laughs> <laughs> well, remember they went to they went to him before, and like, "Hey, we're gonna do this. Is this okay?" Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> well, I, I loved it. England has done used that same tactic. It may well, it's it's funny because which is hilarious. Probably. Well, it's funny because it's it was it was confusing at first when you saw that, and it was really funny seeing the players who are some of the best professionals been playing for years. They go to the ref and they say, "What do we do?" He goes, "I can't tell you how to play. Like this is it's simple. I mean, it took them much longer than it should have to actually like figure out. Oh, I can just pick up the ball and just run straight like I'm playing league. If they're not going to do that, then you just play pod rugby. Come on, yeah." Pretty easy. Yeah. Going, going back to Asmus being strict, I thought he was kind of loose a little bit because John John Quill's yellow card that could have been a penalty try because they were right there and he gave him the yellow card for repeated infringement. Yeah. Um. And then there was a you know in the lineout, uh, he was trying to like was where he was like he, one foot short of the freaking lineout. It's like we do this right right now. Or it's just going to be bad. Like, yeah. I, and like, I, I saw what Glendale was doing, and I was like, guys, you you know the like you know what you're supposed to do. Quit quit yeah. messing around. Because I mean, Noah was doing it too, though. Oh yeah, or at least he did like, at these, one point. All these people know what they're doing. Like, like at the lineout, they're just trying to get away with some shit. Yeah, he called both both captains over. I mean, I found it pretty funny. I don't really know th- the rules too well, like these guys would, but I mean, it is nice to see them just say, I'll "Look, say is- we're doing this now. I don't want to do this for the season, so I'm I'm doing this now." And so it's it's good to hear from him. 
Mr. Okay, so what's the over under on the amount of times he has to say it again? Uh, in the preseason or all year? Just the whole all year. Assuming he does at least one match a week. Assuming <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have to ref two matches a week because the high performance ref palette is like short. Because there's like two of them. Yeah. Six, six a game at least. <laughs> Can we get some numbers on that? Can we can we put that up? Put a poll over under how many times he has to say that per game. This isn't sevens. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't soccer. So what? what we, other... we just have to keep track and write an article at the end of the year. Best ref quotes. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a good one. We should definitely do that. But one question too is is um, there, since we've seen Glendale against Nola, heard Houston against Nola. Based off of these two games, which do you think is better? So Not just based off the score, but based off of what you actually heard about them playing. I know with Houston it's tough because they haven't actually recorded. Did everyone see the bootleg? Not for Nola. That was for Ontario. No, that's what I'm talking about. Did everyone watch the bootleg tape? I missed it. Um, Yeah. I would say the street for five bucks. The quality of that game um, was about right. I thought Um, the skills were tight. Players played pretty disciplined overall. Uh, You know, um, there was pace. Like even the Canadians had some dudes that could could run. You know, Um, I would say that you know you take that and then you take the. You take the tr- you take that one, then you take the Nyack close one. Uh, I'm gonna say right now. I would say, considering how sloppily uh, Glendale played, they're gonna play like that. Though I think they might lose, but uh, I think they would win by five. Uh, earlier in the year, I would have said they would have won by twenty. Really, <laughs> I had the other way around. I had more confidence in Houston. Weeks ago, before and maybe after the first or second or after the Uruguay game, but then after hearing, you know how much closer some of them were, Houston went down a little bit. Not, not like they're the worst team in the league. I, I had them at like number two, but now I have them more at number three. And I think Glendale, you know, wants to get a bit more consistency from actually playing because this is still their first match. Even though they had what like fifty guys who were playing for the Eagles, you know, once they actually start playing. Especially because Houston and uh, Glendale are playing in June on the same day as the uh, the criticism for this one. Um, Dave Williams has been open in stating that they only that they train as a full squad, so that means all their match fee players, not just their full time players, because their full time players train all the time. Um, They do all sorts of stuff, but um, as a full squad, they only train twice a week. Seems consistent. So they, I'm assuming they don't train with the amateur side too. Well, the so um, one of those two days, the academy side practices with the Raptors. But do you think that's going to have to change? Because we no. saw how they play. You don't think so? I think it was just getting them into game shape is all they need to do. Because, I mean, look, we've seen how Houston's evolved. They went from that blowout of Seattle – to getting blown up to getting blown out by James Bay, to playing Uruguay close, to then becoming more and more consistent, and I think 
I think it's gonna be it's gonna become like Pro was. It's it's gonna be sloppy at first, but as the season progresses, it's gonna get crisper and crisper. Well, I I think pro, the last few games of Pro were sloppier than you know. We're like the second, so like the second half of this game was what I saw at the end of Pro when it comes to film, like how sloppy that was. But um, no, I I just think that towards the. I think that he's going to have to change how he wants to train because, and I think he'll gather the data necessary to make that decision through preseason. Cause they play what five preseason fixtures. Three. And the re- three out only three. Yeah. So three over six weeks. Yeah. It's this one. March 30th against Utah. And then the next week against at Nyack. Hmm. Okay. Glendale's playing at Nyack? Yeah. I don't know. Oh. I wonder why they didn't set up a, a Rooney match for that day. That's what it was originally, but then they changed it to Nyack. I'm just going to assume it's either Nyack or Rooney. So, all right. Josh, what do you got for scoring and match day observations? Yeah, you were there. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the wind happened. Uh, so there was the high school game beforehand. We had Nola Jesuit against Regis Jesuit. Um, Zach Fanolio is, I'm assuming he's still the head coach of Regis because that's where he teaches and that's where he graduated from. Um, man of the match results, we had Harley Davidson, obviously, for Glendale. We had Taylor Howden for Nola just because of how he was able to direct Nola. Um, we had two tries for Houston, or not Houston, damn it. Nola, the first try was scored by Matt Houston. Second try was scored by yeah. This try, second try was scored by Michael Basca. Um, to convert both of them were converted. The first one by John Stapleton. The second one by Taylor Howden. Um, and then John Stapleton also missed two penalty kicks. Glendale had six tries scored by Bryce Campbell, Zach Fanolio. Otto Malifa and Michele Cruz, and then two by Harley Davidson. Um, four out of the six conversions were made. Um, Will McGee was two out of three, and Maximo de Achaval was two out of three. And then there were three yellow cards to Casey Rock, John Quill, and Luke White. Attendance wise, I estimate about 2,500. What about like game day experience? Because we know Houston really got like the, the Saber kittens, and they really, you know threw stuff around. What, what did Glendale really do with, with their, their like game day stuff? So they have, they're preparing to have the hard camera side where the players sit. They got one section of it have, is they got, they got it tented over. So they got the shade. They're going to have stuff on the plaza behind it so that you don't have to walk all the way around to the bar. Um, there's the curved part of the stadium. So like, if you're looking at the camera, it's the right upper try side on the, by the, by the try line. It's like, it curves out to like two feet within the, um, the sideline up above that, um, attached to the fire, the fire building. Um, they have the coaches corners where we'll have, you'll be able to get tickets up there and sit. They obviously have Rudy. Um, they got a couple different bars. They got the, uh, general admission bar. They got the tri club and then they got the VIP, um, which if you buy before, I believe 
Thursday, they will wait. You get you can bring your own booze, and they'll waive the restocking fee. That's only in the VIP, which is like six hundred dollars for the whole season. Um, they have rugby one one, which is something they've always had. So, like, if you're new to rugby, they got these little handouts that you can like learn the sport quickly. Yeah, um, I, saw, were, I saw that too when they took pictures or videos that there were there were guys wearing like a a shirt that said like rugby one-on-one or something like that. Sort of like Houston did that. Yeah. And like the geniuses walking around just telling people what is this sport? Yeah. And then they, they had shirts they threw around. Um, they had somebody they threw down to the pitch too, talking about buying tickets every five minutes. Um, they, they had the they boys. Threw someone? They threw someone <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, there was some, um, I think she, she played for Glendale at one time. And so she's, she's now in charge of the youth program. And so they have her be the sideline reporter. So every five minutes they would like, go buy your tickets. They're closing soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like they had Rudy, they had the boys and girls club. Um, Dan Payne was there. Um, If you watch the broadcast, Nick Benson was there. Blue two. We'll get get to that in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Yeah, I think I think yeah, a lot of the attendance was uh, that it was a free event. Hopefully, they be able to continue that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so perceived value, right? Um, A lot of people don't go to things if if they're free, right? And the tickets for these things aren't crazy expensive, so perceived value is probably going to be pretty good, right? Yeah, I would think. so, you know, I, I will say one more thing. The only thing that sucks is parking. Because if you don't get there early enough, the parking that's diagonally across from the stadium fills up and you have to go park a couple blocks away at the Home Depot. That sucks. <laughs> Carpool. I don't know. What, what is. Like the. Corey, what, what is that comment about? What is Liam Madigan? What does that mean? Well, he's saying if they get the if they get like as many yellow cards as they did against Nola, that Austin's gonna not let down as much. They'll kill them as a result. Yes. <laughs> well, um, so so marketing guys, uh, how would you like to be a professional athlete and named one of the twelve most eligible bachelors or bachelorettes? In your city, because that's what happened to Malachi Esdale. He was named to the twelve most eligible bachelors and bachelorettes in Houston. Um, two of the other guys were one was a Houston Dynamo player and one was a Houston Texan. So he's amongst good company. I yeah, it also because they don't matter. <laughs> it really wasn't fair because. They had the pictures of him, you know, one of him, you know, dressed nice and whatever. But it showed him at work, and he's wearing short shorts, and, you know, tight short shorts. So it's it's not going to be fair for the bachelors. They're going to have to, you know, send in a normal picture of them. You know, maybe they send in a bathing suit picture or something like that. But you can't beat, you know, rugby shorts, really. So you so might not stay a bachelor I, I, for long. I, had a, I have to ask, how did they decide this? Um, you just... I don't know. That's actually a good question. <laughs> just general curious. I was going to say the same thing. Good question. Yeah. I th- I think that, at least because I think Grant posted on Facebook, it made it sound more like it wasn't 
the Sabercats who reached out to the magazine when they heard about it or something. It sounded more like someone may have just picked some of the sports players and, you know, maybe he was one of them. Who knows? Yeah. Well, the, the other dudes were like doctors, but I will say that uh, they're um, the Houston uh, marketing people. They contract Mindy Luvano. She like the marketing firm she works for uh, is IMG and they do tons of like, if you look at um, what she does on her personal Twitter and then what she does with IMG, like it's a ton of Houston, like sports centric stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was their, the agency itself, you know, hooked up all their sports, like clients with, uh, with that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, Josh, our personal comment suggested the uh, Earful of Dirt firefighter calendar. Um, I don't know how well that would work out. Just putting well, that out there. Well, uh, I, I mean, if I speak for, uh, speaking for, for for the whole group, guys, I think all five of us have, have horribly misshapen bodies. Well, maybe not Dan. Dan looks lean. I mean, Aaron, I don't know, but Dan looks uh, lean. I don't, I didn't think he was talking about us. I think, <laughs> I think we were, I think we were going to get the, since 12 months, the 12 most eligible MLR bachelors. The MLR bachelors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. I thought it was us for a moment. To get their production of this. Oh, yeah. So, ra- so random Houston note. Um, budgie Smuggler is now making Houston Sabercats budgies. <laughs> I didn't actually know what that was until... What the heck is a budgie? Is? You, you don't know what a budgie is? I don't know um, what a budgie is. What is a budgie? What? Seriously, I don't know. What is that? <laughs> It's a banana hammock. A banana hammock? No, uh, it's a speedo. Speedo. Oh, really? And it's that's, that's all what like hammock is. Yeah. Well, no, banana hammocks are a little what? bit more. I mean, I don't really know the specifics of it. I just know basically. That. So, I mean, Budgie Smuggler sponsors a lot of rugby teams. So you can go <laughs> if you go onto the website, you can go get. A bunch of different super rugby budgies, and I think a bunch of different Aviva Premiership budgies. So interesting. There was um, the <laughs> I didn't even know what it was until today because the Egg Chasers were in Spain for their Tier Two tour, and they they mentioned like I haven't seen so many people wearing budgie smugglers, and I forget what it was like bathrobes or trench coats or something like that. And I was like, what the hell is a budgie smuggler? I, I was like, oh, yeah, okay then. <laughs> So guys, moving on. Let's uh, yeah. let's talk about what Major League Rugby is gonna do for the Eagles. Why are we here, man? I mean, this is this is why we're here. Yeah. Why are we here? Uh, definitely That's a good question. Major League Rugby. I don't know. I feel like I've been kidnapped. I don't know. It's still choice. there's still like a Colorado State Rams flag in the back, so I I <laughs> think you're all right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So why are we here? Um, well, I guess really, where do we start? I mean, there's there's so much to add to it. Um, the first part, even just from this specific game, was getting the kids involved. Um, Josh mentioned it, but it was um, the the boys and girls club actually sent a bunch of their kids there. 
uh, the local CBS station actually had like this little video on it, and they're just saying that you know it's great to get um, the kids out there. It's great for them to partner with different sports teams and just give them uh, different options to you know have fun, see something like this. This happened to be a free event, so it worked out. However, it'd be really awesome to see you know the team to actually give a good amount of tickets to groups like the Boys and Girls Club or someone like that. And, you know, not just for so marketing, but just, you know, let people know about rugby, having a fun you know, game they can play with. I've talked about giving like so people talk about how giving away free tickets to different groups actually doesn't um, work. Um, well, I, I've talked about it with uh, you know different people, and they're like, "Well, that that just doesn't work because we give them, we say, we tell, we call them up and say, here's the tickets." And they just don't come get them or they just don't show up. And it's all about perceived value, even for, you know, at-risk youth groups. You can't, you can't just, hey, call them up or and say, hey, here's a block of tickets. You have to take your team, go down to the Boys and Girls Club and do, you know, fan activation. You know, do you, engage fan, them. you have to engage these people? Yes. Should we mail it to them? Should we give away tick? Should we strategically give blocks of tickets to at-risk youth groups for Eagles test matches and expand or or just you know different charities? It doesn't have to be at-risk youth groups. Oh, well, we could have done that. We could have done that for the Eagles matches. We yeah. had about ten thousand empty seats. We could have given out to at-risk yeah. kids. Or but you anything. can't you can't do that when you have all of your practices in San Diego and the matches in LA. Right. Yeah. So if you keep the guys down in San Diego, um, they can't engage and activate those kids with their sport. Right. You gotta, even if you're gonna give out free tickets, you gotta, you gotta hustle to get those people to show up. And you know, I see it happen all the time with you know colleges. You know, they have they give away free tickets and stuff, and those people show up because the colleges also engaged and did you know other stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not just marketing for yourself. It's just, if you want to do something to help an organization, you can't just say, uh, we're donating tickets to, you know, boys and girls club. We're doing a great thing. You have to actually work for it. You have to actually work with them and actually partner with them. You can't just, as you were just saying, Aaron, you can't just, you know, mail them a ticket, show up, do programs with them, you know, tell the boys and girls club, you're going to have a whole, you know, like a touch rugby session or, or play rugby or, or whatever one of those youth games are, get the kids just running around. They see this is fun and then they can come out and it's, it's an option for them to play a new sport, you know? Yeah. So um, trying to get kids involved. Um, Glendale has this article on their website about something like that, trying to increase the, the, the range of rugby in Colorado. Uh, they're partnering with Rugby Colorado, and so throughout the season, running from April through June, um, Colorado or Rugby Colorado member clubs will be selling tickets to home games, and they'll receive a percentage of each sale. Twenty percent of every ticket of every ticket sale will be returned. Ten percent to Rugby Colorado, and ten percent to that specific member club. Um, the four clubs that sell the most tickets will scrimmage during halftime of the first two. Raptors home games, two teams on April 21st and two teams on May 13th. I was actually going to say that because um, rugby matches, as I've seen, not just 
you know, overseas in the U.S. too for the Eagles. The halftime shows are, you know, crap. You know, they're they're not even really shows. It, it looks more like if you watch like a Premiership match on NBC Sports, you see it's halftime and then like 15 kids just kind of run on the field and they just run around and that's it. I'm thinking like if you go to an NFL game, you'll always see like the peewee football. They'll break up the field and then they'll have like three or four games going on at the same time. And then the different sections usually end up cheering for those kids. So this may be a fewer breaks so people might go to the bathroom or, or get some more beer or something like that. But if you can have enough people in a certain section and you see someone, you know, you can just do uh, one half of the field these kids can play sevens or something like that. That takes up the entire half. That's a full sevens match. You know, it's great for them. They get to play in front of a crowd and make it more organized and you get some fans. I've seen Glendale do, they'll do touch. They'll do kids touch during halftime. They'll have one, they'll have two halves like going sideways across the field. What about dog rugby? We're going to have dog rugby. Hey, I already asked for mascot rugby. Yeah, we got we got start off with mascot rugby first. Dog mascot rugby might be sevens. Let's go. Guess we can have mascot threes. This no, um, do what the NFL does. Do mascot versus little kids. Well, <laughs> have the mascot take out the little kid. Don't they? Uh, <laughs> didn't they do that in the NFL? One of the mascots like stiff armed the kid in the face. Yes. <laughs> Even better. So, um. I guess another one of the things is that, um, you know, getting players high quality matches and then getting that on high quality match films so that they can be scouted because for the, for at some point, you know, they talked about how before Mitch, like the, the overseas pros pretty much had, you know, uh, you know, they, they were pretty much the thing, you know, if you played overseas, you were going to have a spot in training camp, but, and part of that's because you, if you don't have, if you're not playing a good opponent and you're not playing, you don't have good film. I mean, what, what is the high performance director going to do with you? Right. The only thing they really base off of is if you just happen to speak to the coach and the coach recommends them or something like that. But it's so much different than being able to actually watch the game and see the player against other potential players, you know, as opposed to them just being the one that stands out in club rugby or even college. They usually end up getting like one or two college players. Well, so let, let's take that out further and go to like high school. I know we got programs like the Atavis, the Atavis program. What does MLR do to that? Does it um, decrease what, its? Well, I mean, so Atavis. Uh, to be honest, I mean, if you, although they have good coaches, they're doing like weekend camps, um, the, and it's not really consistent. Um, it's good. It's not consistent. It's, it's not, and they're so it's expensive. The weekend camps, the coaches are good. Like Darren Morris is a coach. Greg Wink Williams is a coach for them. I mean, they've got good coaches, but you can only do so much in two days, right? Yeah. It would be much different if they ran like residency camps for all the time. They usually only were running like one residency camp for girls and it was only a week um, for like girls, high school, all Americans. And, you know, they charge a really boatload of money. Um, it is pretty I expensive. Think, I think if Atavis or Tiger, uh, 
you know, even Northeast want to stay relevant. They, I mean, Northeast is re- very relevant. What they do is a, they do a lot. But like Tiger shut down their facility, so they are basically a traveling academy. Um, you know, it's a lot of them focus on sevens too. Yeah, like so it, it really well. Tiger no longer is focusing on no longer doing fifteens. They're gonna do a a tens tour, I think. And then they're going to run a domestic uh, sevens pro sevens like invitational sevens team and a sevens. a uh, you know foreign sevens team. So I mean, out of us, I don't know. It's going to require them to compete, or they will be pushed out. They're much. partnering with. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say partnering yet, but they're definitely working with uh, Sea Wolves. In some capacity, because yeah, they have a couple of there. Well, yeah, yeah I, th- I think I think I think Atavis, like as a, I think they will reshape to an extent, um, and probably form the backbone of the Sea Wolves Academy. Probably, they also have their own football side too. So it's football and rugby that they focus yeah. on. But they have the Sea Wolves signed like two or three players who happen to be coaches for Atavis. Yeah, so. It makes sense to work with them. And, just well, uh, and then um, Mikert Hatting was a, was a coach for Tiger. That's right. He hmm. was. I don't know if he is anymore, but he was. I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily certain how that would work. <laughs> but, um, but, because I think, because I remember, because Pedri said he was a Tiger coach too. And he was. When he went, to, when they announced he was with Austin, they, I think Tiger came out and said that they were basically trying to expand nationwide. Yeah, but that was – I mean, that was before uh, the other thing sort of happened. So um, – I'm going to tangent here. This is going a bit But um, So back to this. Uh, so, you know, I said high-quality games on high-quality match films so that players can get scouted. Then we go to chemistry of the Eagles. So there were 19 contracted MLR players in the Eagles pool after all of them were announced, right? Mm-hmm. Um. You had uh, – so they're just going to play each other now um, for the most part. So the – rather than sort of be spread out across D1 rugby and not play each other all the time, they're going to get that experience and chemistry of playing each other and with each other. Um, I would say similar to like the Uruguayan club system to an extent – with how much those guys see each other on the pitch and, you know, in the weight room. And, think, you know. I, know, I was just going to say one thing with the, with the chemistry too, you know, um, I really feel like a lot of the players, if they're not, you know, the five or six overseas players like A.J. McGinty or someone playing the premiership or top 14 or, or whatever, um, if they're not playing there, they're going to be MLR players. And oh, yeah. Like, I mean. Even the, the deaf the, the deaf players for the Eagles will be MLR starters. I think it's will be at the point very soon where mm-hmm. it will be impossible to play strictly amateur rugby um, yeah. and be on the Eagles. Yeah, we'll you definitely, can, you we'll can get identified, but uh, to be honest, Daly and Mungaloa, hey, they perform well enough to get, get a contract, so somebody needs to sign them, but they can't be playing for you know their clubs – they both play 
on Life West or is it Life West and SMTG? Golden Gate, I think. Yeah, so it. We'll so they, daily plays for SMTG. Oh yeah, so yeah, and Mungalow plays for Hulu Hollow plays for Life West. So they, yeah. they, I mean, they're they they need contracts and they can't be staying playing at that level for too long, you know, because. At some point, you're just not going to get the level of competition you need, and I think that's going to be very fast approaching. And I think that's actually really um, good to see from this because I know a lot of countries have it where you have to play in this country in order to actually make it, or they have they're they're coming up with different exceptions and stuff like that. But that stems a lot from the fact that the union came first, and the they played rugby for a hundred years like crazy, and then professionalism came. Whereas for us. I mean, we did play, but we've never really been that dominant. So in order for anyone to actually play, they had to go overseas. But now that we're having professionalism, um, while it won't be a requirement to actually play here, if you're not playing overseas and you're not good enough to play overseas and you want to actually play, then you have to come for MLR. But eventually when it gets to the point where Pro D2 wouldn't be enough if you really want to make the Eagles because – you know, maybe Gary Gold and the coaching staff will be focusing more on watching um, MLR than they will on focusing on watching like Pro D2 because the amount of American Eagles who are eligible will be far higher in MLR than it would be in Pro D2 or, you know, uh, English Premiership or whatever the second round is. Well, guys, you already touched upon the, the, the hopes uh, that MLR would get the Eagles in terms of uh, players such as for example, Hulu Holo Mangaloa or Brandon Daly, who again both in Life West and San Francisco Golden Gate, respectively, for them to get obviously a, a higher level of play once they get into Major League Rugby. Uh, but also, another impact uh, that Major League br- brings is that players that did not have a platform uh, to show the skills uh, to national team scouts obviously now can. Uh, for example, imagine all the young players coming f- from MLR that can be chosen to play for the under twenties, and, and and for example, in this year's U twenty trophy, which I believe is coming up in August, and then if they win, they advance to the U twenty championship in twenty nineteen. As far as I know, MLR is doing good things for the Eagles, of course. Well, I mean, like U tw- US U twenties guys, uh, you know, there's going to be those guys that play through MLR academies and make it or like Kieran farmer, Kieran farmer is not an academy player just to let everyone know. I mean, he's, that young, guy, enough he's young enough. I mean, but he's going to be their second fly half in Houston. Um, even though they've got like three, they've got like four fly halves that can do it all. I mean, they're, they, if, uh, you know, it was it if, Seattle uh, signed all of the American qualified uh, front rows. Uh, Sabercats signed all of the American qualified uh, fly half fullbacks because <laughs> they've got like four of them. So um, it picks to have. But yeah, there's. I think the majority of the U20s guys are either going to be having to play for those. You know, you have guys that aren't playing in the you know top five programs that are making the U20s. It's going to be, you know, either guys that are playing for the top five college programs, and then the rest are MLR players. And eventually, it will be like MLR academy players, and you know, it'll be those guys are the first choices, right? 
um, because we talked about sort of the academy stuff last episode in how college is part of the pathway. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to play for that college. It's all going to depend on when every MLR team has an academy and how, uh, you know, USAR wants to readjust their collegiate eligibility rules, right? Because it's not an NCAA sport, so you can you can write your own rules. Which is kind of so. Cool. I guess that brings up the question, and then I may have asked this last week, so excuse my goldfish memory. Do we get an academy league like the like an A league or something? So that comes into like one of the questions that was asked by SD Yeti that you brought up in our email thread, right? Um, so. When I chatted with uh, Mark Bullock about, you know, the academy and what they want to do is eventually they want to have an academy league. Uh, you know, they want to have the funds to, you know, fly their academy team to Seattle or to NOLA or to, you know, Dallas or to San Diego every week rather than you know, the one big trip they have is playing at St. Mary's, right? And we saw, like, we saw what St. Mary's can do, right? St. Mary's beat the Glendale Academy squad. Um, so we we still see where the top level of collegiate rugby is versus, um, I guess, the first year of a of an MLR Academy team. It'd be, it'd be interesting, too, to see – um, and I don't know exactly how it works in places like England, but I know, like for instance, um, when the um, when the national teams play, like for the Six Nations, or even like the Anglo Welsh Cup, which is kind of like a, a weird thing, which is not the best thing to base this off of, because I know people don't really like it too much. But they have sort of like this A team games that come around every so often, which. Um, I know that you know the, the squads will be 23 for the actual match day, but the teams will have, what, 30, 35 players on their team, even if some of them are only part-time. So if we can get some of those and maybe grab some of the academy players too, that might be Are fun. you talking about the A-League by any chance, then? No, no, no. So, like, so the Anglo-Welsh is, I would call it more or less an extension of the A-League, except you're playing, you know, Welsh teams in addition yeah. to... And every country has their own qualification for who plays like, you know, like the English teams usually put like more development, but some, some people don't or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I might be just going off on a weird tangent here. So um, well, we, we always brought up the point that Glendale only has only announced 25 players and they brought in two or three Academy players to play against Nola. Yeah. I, well, they, they brought in Academy players up to the Merlin side towards the end of their like fall slate. Not the, the reality is, is they they brought all these guys in to see. They recruited them just like you would recruit a college kid, and they were like, "Hey, we have a pro team. Um, you can come here and get coached for a couple of years." And then they decided to, "Hey, let's push the U23, and you just go to Colorado State or U Denver or whatever, and you you know you just play here." Um, and then uh, so. You know, we sort of Denver probably easier because it's right down the street. Yeah, and then um, so we're we're seeing that, right? And you know, it's it's just a question of the evolution there, really. Yeah. Um, we move to the next point, guys. 
I think, I mean, yeah, so we talked about the academy, so just upskilling players at a faster rate. Um, so let's get into hey, somebody mute their stuff. Somebody's getting arrested. <laughs> oh, <it's- laughs> Dude, that's a, that's a fire truck. What are you talking about? Is that arrested? <laughs> so moving on to... Uh, I like that Victor knows that it is actually a fire truck and not police at all. <laughs> but, uh, that's the New York City years. So, Seriously, bro. <laughs> the New York City didn't. This is Dan's like special project. Uh, so far, it's really been a collaboration with uh, so- Liam. It's more... I would say it's eventually... If we can do this right... If we're, it's going to take a lot of work, but we're going to, it's fantasy rugby. Uh, the format is courtesy of Liam, but we're going to try and somehow host this stuff through Google Forms so it actually works rather yeah. than, you know, just sort of playing by yourself. Yeah. And we're, we're working on it a bit. And I've mentioned this a couple of times. There's that since it's preseason now, so the teams really haven't released that many stats for, um, that, that most people would use uh, for fantasy rugby. So a lot of it is really stuff we have to figure out ourselves, which it's a bit tough right now. You know, so far it's the easy one tries um, penalty kicks, conversions, red card, yellow card, um, and whether or not the player is on the winning team, you get like plus one or, or minus one point. Um, then we also have the, the option to choose one of the teams that's basically like the defense and special teams kind of thing where you pick one of the teams, um, you add up all the tries they get. Um, you could also do penalties, conversions, um, whether or not they won, you get points. One thing that Josh actually brought up is a potential idea since this is something we can even just see whoa, whoa, whoa. from this. Whoa, that is whoa, whoa. not an idea. That's about to be a fact. Um, a fact. So stolen lineups and stolen scrums, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was that. And then I just had another thought because it reminded me when um, I think it was Luke White just basically picked Bentar up during the one scrum. <laughs> like if we see dominant scrums, like eat a point. Well, I, I mean, the, the dominant scrum is like stealing the ball, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's where um, it yeah, would gonna... be a literal – the tracking if you like – Pure tracking of dominant scrums would be would take a lot for us to like give points. I don't have time for that. Yeah, I mean, I know what you're <laughs> saying. So we're like, we're okay. Say Denver puts like Glendale puts the ball in, but even though they they win the scrum and they get the ball out, they lose five meters, stuff like that. No, no. So no, I meant like what I like what I said when because well, I actually started seeing that a lot more, especially in the ARC where the loose head is basically picking the tight head up off the ground. I'm talking stuff like that. Well, um, if you want to hire an intern for yourself, <laughs> he can, he can pull those, <laughs> he can get those stats, man. <laughs> it'd be nice if we had interns. I don't think we're legally allowed to, but it'd be nice, you know, having someone help that us would out. Be nice. I mean, we could do college credit. Yeah, we can do college credit. <laughs> <laughs> very legit um yeah so actually this match would have been really good if there were some uh stolen lineouts because i think glendale won just about every single one that i was actually watching um yeah no one's a bit sloppy in that part so this is um i guess the idea of fantasy isn't just to pick the team um but if there are six teams playing in a week if you pick the right one it can go your way um just kind of to show that um based on the the scoring that we used glendale had 18 points for fantasy this week, and, and Nola had seven. So 
that definitely makes a, a big difference um, when the teams play. As for the actual individual results, Harley Davidson, he had 11 points because he had two tries um, as well as a winning bonus point. Um, McGee and, and Deachevel both had five for two conversions and the winning bonus point. Um, you know, the others, there were, there were some others with just like maybe one try, which is five or seven points, depending on whether or not you're a back or a forward. Um, so hopefully something else can come from this. I don't think I actually, I didn't really do my score this week. So I kind of feel like a schmuck for actually talking. Um, Liam did, uh, Liam, who's, who's working with us, who actually offered to be the intern said that he, uh, (laughs) he had 36 points. So that's what we had from Um, there. Um, this, like I said, this is really something that we're developing. Um, we're working on this. We really want to to use fantasy because fantasy is fun. I mean, I love it for football, um, but we just want the stats to be out there. So I guess if Liam, if you're our intern, if you can track tackles, if you can track um, knock-ons, penalties, whatever you can track. Line breaks. Line breaks. You know, what I honestly don't even really know 100% of all that fantasy rugby does, but if you can track all these things, you'll have a high five from me at one point in the future. You can always borrow from sevens because they do their little fantasy thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. It's a work in right. But any, actually any suggestions, if anyone has suggestions about something to, to add for this, send it our way. I would like to, if we can figure this out, I would like to make a legacy, not a legacy league, but rather than, um, I think the first time is going to have to be, uh, you know, like, uh, what's my daily? Like DraftKings. But I really like to be able to do this where you pick a 23, you know, for the whole and you and you pick and 30 it. guys for the for the whole team for the whole year. Right. Well, so but that, but, but that would require there to be rosters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in order for that to work, you kind of have to combine that with DraftKings, I think, especially right now with the limited size of the league. I think maybe <laughs> if it gets bigger. No, I'm, I'm well. saying I'm saying eventually. I think uh, if we could do this ourselves, I mean, if if there ends up being like a hundred people that decide to do this this year, maybe we have to figure that one out. Forget five people decide um, to do this. That'd be great. Yeah, uh, but uh, a, a we need like set rosters, and you need them deployed like on Thursday by every team. Not like it can't be a game day decision. Otherwise, you are going to play DraftKings style the entire time. Yeah, and it is tough. Um, but it would be nice to do like five backs and four forwards and three subs or something like that, and you can choose who you want. Uh, we definitely do need to expand this a bit because some of the players I picked didn't get any points because they didn't score any tries or kick conversions. So, yeah, that's something we have to work on too. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to uh, player signings. Uh, there were two. Uh, big one, sort of. Uh, Seattle Seawolves announced the signing of Prairie Wolfpack center, Mozak Sampson. He is um, a Canadian international. I forgot what his number was. It's Le Rouge, like, four or something, I think. Um, he's from Suva, Fiji. Uh, started playing rugby, you know, as a child, because that's what, you know, people do on Fiji. And Samoa and Tonga, they play rugby, right? Um, moved to Calgary. In Alberta, um, at the age of 15, and then he, you know, started playing with Calgary Saints. 
uh, before moving and playing up with the Wolfpack for the CRCs. Uh, you know, Samson is a, like I said, is a cap for teens players, but he's also capped with Canadian sevens. Um, you know, based, he's sort of been outside of the squad because of, um, because of the centralized program, the centralized program really leaves the guys that can play, uh, sort of, you know, adrift. And I think that's going to change very soon because of MLR. He is married to, um, another capped Canadian player, Maria Sampson. Um, she was the 2012 rugby Canada player of the year and was part of the 2014 rugby world cup side for, uh, you know, Canada uh, that made it to the finals. Um, so I guess he is the second most famous rugby player in his marriage. <laughs> Victor, who'd you got? Well, after, after that lovely couple, uh, we have Anthony Salibird. Now, this was interesting. Now, it was shown on a piece on CW San Diego that was that was featuring U.S. Eagles, Mike Teo, Ryan Matias, and Tacosa Nuenya that Mr. Anthony Salibur, Cal Standout, center slash wing, got signed to San Diego. Now, he's originally from Dixon, Dixon California. He's a third-generation Cal Bear. Dixon, His, Dixon, uh, California. Dixon, well, yeah, mm. you know, Dixon, yeah, you know what I mean. Mm. Okay. So, in any case, <laughs> just want to check that. Just saying, it's not that big of a place. Dixon, Dixon, was a, not that, Dixon is not that big of a place. That's all I'm saying. Uh, okay, very well. So, in any case, he's third generation. So, his grandfather had ran track. His father uh, was a rugby player. And besides Anthony, you also have his brother, Nick, who I don't know if he probably signed with the team. I'm not really sure. In, in any case, he was a standout out of um, the Dixon uh, Rugby Club, and he was part of multiple championship teams in both 15s and 7s with Cal. Uh, well, by the way, he's this stated in in the uh, CW's uh, San Diego um, Instagram story that he played wing, but he also played fullback quite a number of times uh, for Cal. So congratulations for him becoming a legionnaire, I believe is what they called him. Okay, so after Seattle stole all the front row players, do we have any left for San Diego? Um, I, I mean, they've got – so, I mean, I know Broussard can – Broussard's a rumored player that we saw on social. Uh, he can play hooker, right? Um, can he? He'll have yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> you might have to. Uh, and they've got Purpura, but that's all I got. Um, well. Tiers of contracts. Uh, mm, so I guess I'm a, when when old rosters get announced, we need to figure that out. So, like, what is a full time player and what is a match fee player? Because, like, so would you think Charlie Hewitt is a full time player? Maybe. What do you think of Seo Kalinas? I was a full-time player. Maybe. But guess what? They're match fee players because they are academy coaches. So, I mean, they actually have jobs that they have to do. <laughs> so it's jobs like, related to rugby. Yeah, they, their jobs are related to rugby, but they have actual jobs. Um, and then, uh, like, Robert Meeson is the uh, corporate uh, sales manager for uh, – 
for Houston. So he sells all of your suites and stuff. So he sold for he sold out all of those suites at Constellation Field for the entire like exhibition season. So he made himself a nice little commission. Good for him. You know, sales guys make commission, so it's not just me. You know, saying what I'm saying, like it's what they do. They make big sales, right? Um, so what is I, I, go ahead. No, what? What is? Well, I was like, they aren't all just rugby related. I mean, I think Zach's Fenolio soul teacher. Then I saw, I somehow saw that Seth Halliman's an AML investigator. A what? Anti-money laundering. Ah. <laughs> oh man, that must be a fun job. Cool. Um, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, I we we really need to, but to an extent, that's probably proprietary information until there's a, a CBA with the USRPA, which, to be honest, I hope there's a CBA with the USRPA sooner rather than later so that we can just, you know, make sure the water isn't that muddy. I mean, and like CB, and CBAs can still include match fee players. Um, I want the the I guess back room stuff taken care of first so that guys aren't you know cut out to dry like they were with pro and I don't think they're gonna be I just want it you know taken care of Be nice well uh moving on from from that topic we got our tweet of the week it was a pretty nice one actually um as Josh said our uh fearless leader the next six months dan Payne was actually at the match um he was the one who tweeted this he tweeted a couple pictures of him with his son uh the audience as well as a couple kids i think playing rugby um his tweet was the exciting thing about today is for me to think of where this endeavor could be when this little guy is a teenager we need to think in 10-year increments year over year growth pick a team buy some merchandise best thing you can do for a sport at usmlr at USA Rugby at AP9. And AP9 is uh, Augustine Pichot, who's a, a former Argentinian player. of World Rugby. Very powerful job, and he's spearheading a lot with the South American um, rugby stuff, a big reason why ARC where it is today. And then Dan actually responded saying, to clarify, that endeavor being MLR. So I know that when he announced that he was stepping down from CEO, that was the first time he actually... Um, publicly supported MLR. I mean, we knew it was going to happen, but, you know, he did that. And then now um, he's at the match. He's saying it's going to be awesome and support a team, buy merchandise. And he's, it's, you know, really something to look forward to. Um, now moving on to trending topics. So we sort of covered this. Josh, where are you? This is all you. Which part? Bluetooth? No, that's me. Trending topics. Oh, my bad. I told you I have a goldfish brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Bluetooth. <laughs> MLR expansion. All right. So we've heard a couple confirmed times that there's going to be at least 10 U.S. domestic teams next year. That does not mean that there's going to be 10 total teams next year that there's going to be 10 U.S.-based teams. We know that New York is one of them. 
so we could have we could have up to twelve teams with rumored interest from Toronto. Vancouver has two. Um, we've also heard Kansas City, Dallas, and Chicago. Um, I think the so what was it? Dean House said that there was currently nine members of the league. And so one of those is that ninth member, from what I understand, is a domestic team. So uh, based on everything, I think it's Dallas. And I think it's because of those new investors Phil Cam has. I'm told that there's supposed to be news uh, directly related to that coming out. It's supposed to come out this week. We'll find out. Um, everything Dallas-related tends to come out, like, two weeks late than I'm told. So, you know. Yeah. All right. So we got some uh, some news, views, and abuse. First part, actually, uh, it's not MLR-related, but it's still good news to talk about. Um, España smushed Germany, or Deutschland, 84-10. to 10. Um, the Egg Chasers and King Felipe VI were both present, though it the the media seemed to care more about King Felipe for some reason. Um, same stadium they were at last time. It was full again with about 15,000 fans. Um, that stadium is only supposed to hold like 12,000 people. <laughs> so there are like... 3,000 people just literally standing on the outside. And that's something that one of the, one of the comments was like, it's a, it's a park. So you just walk up. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's so cool because you, you, you don't see that. And even if you look at another stadium, that's the same size, they're usually more like, like a Red Bull arena or something like that, where it's more like official stadium. You have to enter and everything like that. This is like, you walk up and then the field's below you and you can just stand there and watch. It's like a college pitch or something like that. It's it's awesome. It's definitely a good vibe. But if you're selling out 15,000 and you're only legally supposed to have 12,000, so police have to sit there and push people back, you should probably really upgrade that. And, you know, it might be tough to get, you know, a soccer field to give you permission, but you got to do something about that. So um, next part we actually talked about before um, – about how it doesn't rhyme with Bluetube. So Nick Benson spoke during the Glendale Nola match. He was on the broadcast, um, talked about a couple things. Most of the things we already knew about, just saying how many teams there were, expansion, you know, fun stuff like that. Then Den Power asked him about the new over-the-top um, media partner that we've all been waiting for. And he asked him, does it rhyme with Bluetube? And Benson said it doesn't, but we all think that he's lying. And it still could be Bluetooth. I mean, it doesn't rhyme with Bluetooth TV. I mean, YouTube TV, right? That's true. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, so CBS is launching their, um, their own streaming um, system in the spring, along with ESPN. But uh, I don't know. He said it was like. Dean House said it was in the top four recognizable names for streaming platforms. So that's like... Or at least it's on your short list. I mean, at least of names you recognize. You recognize ESPN. You recognize YouTube. You recognize CBS. Yeah. So... Yeah. Or Twitter. Yeah. Twitter, Facebook. Instagram. So. Twitch. Um, but, uh, I think it's so, Twitch. Don't Twitch think. would be interesting. 
Yeah, that's for gamers though, though mostly. So it's weird for regular sports. It would be interesting, um, but I mean, esports is becoming a big thing. So yeah, they got professional um, wrestling there now. Yeah. So women's rugby had some interesting attendance numbers this weekend. So the the previous world record was also held by a France England game for a single match. Uh, for all those wondering, the final at the rugby women's rugby World Cup did not uh, get a like record status because it was a double header uh, of the third place game and the uh, you know the final, even though there was like about seventeen thousand there for that match. But uh, so France had a, was like previously eleven thousand for an England match uh, in France um, this weekend. It was. 17,440 in Grenoble, which is a completely different part of the country than where France versus England was. So that's pretty dope. Um, At the same time, as that match was going on, uh, there were 4,500 people attending Harlequins Ladies versus Richmond Ladies at the Twickenham Stoop. So that's kind of cool. And then on Sunday... That was the highest... Highest, highest women's club match attendance ever, like yeah. anywhere. So that's kind of cool. Um, that's more than a, a few uh, few games in uh, Pro 14. <laughs> <laughs> the entire season for one of the teams. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, was it uh, Wales versus Italy? Women had over 10,000 on Sunday. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's really nice to see that too. I mean, the the women's World Cup was good, but it wasn't. It was all at like one stadium, and I don't even know if I should call it a stadium because it was. Um, it was a park. You could say it was a park. Yeah, well, it it was at a college stadium. Yeah, I mean, but it's not like a their college stadiums are not like ours. Yeah, so it was sort of like I guess had a similar feel to the uh, the Spain field. Where it, it wasn't really a, a stadium. I mean, yeah. I think it could probably fit 10,000, 15,000 people, but like th- those didn't even really sell it that much. And that was in Ireland. So it's actually really yeah. cool to see the 17,000 people showed up for one of the matches. So, um, moving forward, uh, we got some questions from someone. Hey, sorry about that, guys. I thought there was still one more uh, bit of news on the. Uh... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there was one. Let bit. Me, let's. Yeah. Uh... So, <laughs> I don't make that noise. <laughs> Just keep making it. So, uh, what's going on on Ontario? So, they announced on Twitter today that um, in a couple days, so pay attention to their Twitter, they're going to announce their 2018 home venue and their roster for their match against Rooney this weekend. Cool. Awesome. Nice. Well, yeah, hey. For, uh, j- jumping on that before going to the questions, they are playing Rugby United at the Iona stadium, but it's on St. Patrick's day and it's not, they're not really broadcasting it. I think they're mentioning it, but they're not really advertising it. It's more a match like just to, to play each other. The one on the 24th, which is next week. That's the one that they're actually selling tickets to and trying to get people to go to. And um, I was actually at the happy hour that they put on, which is really cool that they're doing all these things. And um, they had the the off the ball interview, and I forget exactly how he said it, but James basically said, "Fuck Boston, we're gonna beat them." <laughs> so, 
very New York attitude about things. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, hey guys, uh, thanks for having me on. As always, how are y'all doing tonight? Good. I'm pretty good. You know, yeah, you're still awake. It's uh, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, a few questions. So let's buzz on through these. Uh, these are uh, two of them are from our Reddit page. As always, that's uh, reddit.com/r/mlrugby. <laughs> And uh, we try to post a uh, comment thread every week, so be sure to check that out. So, Co-Hook would like to know, this is getting a little ahead of ourselves with this question, but what does the time frame for Season 2 look like for MLR? Um, so, I've stated, based on the new global calendar, um, with the test window moving to July, that I think that it's going to be like 1st of March to the last weekend in June. And then possibly with the the league taking a break during August and playing the playoffs in August. Yeah, and, and going off that too, it's really important to make sure that they end by a certain time because this, uh, this other sport comes up in late August and early September um, called football. And in at least three of the cities, or at least three of the areas, like Austin, Houston, and I guess NOLA too, um, college football is king. So if you're trying to put on a game on a Saturday and compete with college football, there's no way that anyone's going to go to that game. Well, uh, um, San Diego plays at a college football stadium, so uh, yeah. That too. All right. Uh, Bob, Bob Boberson would like to know, uh, Nola has gotten themselves spanked by both Houston and Glendale. I think, uh, no one's arguing with that. Uh, not question. This is a question. How much of that is working out the kinks and gelling as a team versus a disparity in talent and coaching? I don't, I don't think it's so much that as it so much as it is time together because Nola didn't start till this year. Houston was together, Aaron, you probably guess this, August, September. And then Glendale's been together a couple of years. So, so yeah, so Houston's been together for like seven months. Um, there were some guys, I want to say about like 15, about 15 guys, not half the team were that started training, uh, you know, in December for NOLA. And then the, the, they started full camp, like 40 dudes. Uh, you know, January 3rd. So, I mean, a lot of it's time together um, and chemistry. And Glendale's just going to have so much more of that than everybody else because, you know, they've been together so long. Yeah. And especially, I think, um, which which player was it? He's been with Glendale since the start of Glendale Raptors. Casey Rock. Yeah. So that's that's some experience and that's some chemistry right there. If you've been with the team for eleven years, yeah. So. Um, and then you know I spoke to Nate Osborne about this. So you know he was like he was disappointed with the loss, but he was very pleased with the effort because it was there's only third match total, um, whereas Houston has you know had what was it fourteen matches total now. Um, and it just, I thought that, you know, I thought they played better than they played against Houston for a little bit. And then, you know, I think the altitude just took it completely out of them. So, 
I think also that there will be a bit of disparity in the first season, given the fact that it's the first season. I'd really like to see where these teams are, at least from the first year, next year, and see how the results are. Because even if they don't have a really long off season, they'll at least have, you know, four months of of season and preseason together. So it'll be nice to see how the team has gelled since then. Very cool. Uh, Josh, Victor, either of you guys have anything you wanted to weigh in on? Not really. Go ahead, Josh. I'm good. All right. Uh, last question nice. of the night. Uh, this one comes actually from the YouTube comments. So uh, let's see, probably down that way, I guess. I'm not sure where they're at right now. Uh, Tom earlier asked a question. And uh, so as a preface, I think we're going to go ahead and I'm going to mention this tonight. And then we'll follow up um, either this week or next week with either a post on our website about this or possibly talk about it on the show next week. So Tom wants to know, now that uh, ARC is complete, who do you think has earned uh, their first 15s jersey for the Eagles going into the World Cup? Who's your 23, and who? Uh, what players are on the bubble right now? Um, I know who played themselves out. Uh, played themselves in? Or I'm going to say... I think we need a different backup tight head option. It's only because the mullet is gone. <laughs> there's actually there's 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 a new mullet in MLR. I forget his name, but he was number seventeen for Glendale. What's his name? Josh, you 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 definitely saw him. Big guy, um, like black hair. Is that the kid from Grand Canyon? Kuznesky? No, that's Blake Rogers. Yeah, Blake Rogers. Blake Rogers. I don't know. No, Kwasniewski's a redhead, so can't. Well, that wouldn't be him. It was um, big dude. So tight head prospects. Uh, so we've I've talked about Paul Mullen before for Houston, but then you've got Kalepi Fafita and Nick Kwasniewski for Glendale, um, who I think can push that tight head position pretty hard, pretty soon. Um, I think most of the the starting 15 is pr- at least for like the Argentina and Canada game, I think are pretty for the most part, pretty set. I mean, yeah, obviously I, there's changes. I think the, if I'd be surprised if they didn't make the team. You looked at the roster that's, that was against Argentina 15. I think that gives you a good idea. The guy who I'm going to say is who's automatically in is the hammer. Hammer chase. Hammerschein. Go He's he's a player who definitely played himself into a secure spot because I mean I I kind of figured he'd play anyway, but he's a guy who really like with this tournament, like I don't see any reason unless he just shits the bed over the next year for him not to make it. Um, the tenacity that he played with and the consistency that he played with were both amazing. Um, I also even though he only played two or maybe three matches, Will Hooley really shown a lot for me where he obviously has a lot more to show because he's only been playing with the team for a month. Um, he played for the team for three weeks. Well, yeah, but <laughs> a month ago, a month ago, so he played with the team for three weeks, but he definitely was um, fundamentally, a very, fundamentally very consistent and very skilled. Um, he did score a try too, um, but he wasn't, just the playmaker who, you know, you'd see him, um, you know, be really flashy. He was just consistently there. The fundamentals were, the fundamentals were there, and that's someone we really need for the World Cup. 
Okay, so uh, somebody who got a lot of buzz going into, uh, especially the last few matches of the ARC, Saul Mooching. What do you yeah. think? Needs more consistent time. Yeah, he yeah. needs. I mean, uh, he needs a lot more work. So I think. he improved a lot, but the how, like how much he improved per game showed you the kind of environment he either hasn't been or in. I mean. He he's gotta be he's gotta sign with an MLR team or he's gotta you know go play you Friends know overseas play. because the reality is is he's currently just playing club rugby with the Saracens right now and that's not that's not gonna be enough. He did tweet like a week ago, big news coming soon. But he does that a lot. So was I'm the big gonna... news him going up to Vancouver for uh <laughs> yeah. To watch that. I, I mean, I, I hope there's big news. I hope that he signs with either an MLR team to play domestically or he signs with the team in France. Uh, I, I mean, I, he's an elite athlete. And yeah. if he gets in the right environment, we can get a lot out of him. But if he doesn't, um, you're not going to make it. Yeah. And he, I think he's really waiting until like the last moment to sign with the team because if it's a month from now, really. Victor, what are you laughing at? Because I was backing you up. <laughs> <laughs> the garbage truck outside your house. I was backing this guy up. There's, I don't know what it is. There's always noise. I mean, first of all, it's New York. There's a lot of noises. And you're in Queens on top of that, too. So that doesn't help. I'm in, I'm in a very nice neighborhood. I'm going to put that out here right now. I know people hear sirens in the background. They Dude, think you just live in Astoria. Get the heck out, okay? If he did, if he didn't live in a nice neighborhood, there wouldn't be sirens because they wouldn't go down there. <laughs> yeah, they'd be freaking, freaking the story. I get the heck out. Yeah, just, just, just let it burn. <laughs> let it burn all night long. That was nice though. Anyway, so you know, if if he doesn't sign within the next month with like a French team or something, I mean, it doesn't even make sense because you know he have to. He could still play with an MLR team and then just sign with a you know a European team in like August because the season's going to be over by the time the MLR really starts. Who's going to sign him now? Super rugby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah super rugby. But that is a possibility given the fact that he. Ha- I think his dad's Samoan. Mm-hmm. So That's right. He has a Samoan passport, so he already falls under Colpac, so he could have signed. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So actually, that's that's a. Good point that I didn't pick up. Because uh, in all honesty, what <laughs> Song wants to do, he wants to go to Europe. I mean, you guys saw he went did trials with Harlequins, did yeah. trials with Paul, and, and nothing. I know he wants to go to Europe, and that's probably why he hasn't signed with um with the with the SeaWolves yeah, yet because he wants thing. to be open like, to I something coming up in Europe. I've I've seen the film, you know, from World Club Tens and from his, uh, you know. From his trial with Powell. Oh. So if that Poe, if that doesn't get Powell. him signed, I need to see the film of someone doing because like he was a scoring machine during World Club Tens, right? Yeah, he, he, also, he was really good. He was really good. He was really like good. so if that doesn't get him signed, I don't I mean, I don't know what does. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't know if he would be signed at this point, but I guess as I completely forgot, super rugby. I mean that the southern hemisphere is an option also because of that. If he was looking to sign with someone for the summer, because otherwise just, you know, sign with the Seawolves 
doing even just like the part-time basis or or at least if you go into signing with them make it clear to them say hey you know i might get signed by another team that's my goal and if i don't then i'd love to play with you guys but you know i'm looking to play the the best rugby i can play so if now, you're up front now the, the way i see it is that if he really wants to go to europe and he's just being stubborn about signing with the seawolves he needs to stop being stubborn because the opportunity is not coming in, and he's not, and he's not going to get any gameplay. So he better get the opportunity that he has. And like you said, Dan, once this thing's over, if he can, I guess he'll I mean, I go down and play in our know, if he the, can. These contracts, you know, aren't worth a whole lot even for the full-time players. So the transfer fee isn't going to be much. So yeah. if they play well and a team overseas wants to bring them in, it's going to happen. So take the opportunity if the opportunity is still on the table. Plus, so, so I have to ask, since Seattle has announced most of their roster, any chance he heads down the Pacific Coast Highway? Um, it's possible. Um, for playing with who? The Legion. It's definitely a possibility. I mean, I mean, obviously the Legion are are a go to place for people who want to stay close to um. The national team, they train down there. It makes life so much easier, and the weather is really nice. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's possible. Who knows? Um, his fiance is from SoCal, but she plays softball. In, she plays softball in Italy. So, um, I think that's one of the reasons why he's been holding out and trying to get a contract in France, or even. You know, in Italy. So, oh my God, no, please, no. He might as well sign me. MLR is gonna go down and play in the whatever League of Excellence, as they call it. The League of Excellence. The League of Excellence. Thank you. League, League of Excellence, yeah, or whatever it's pronounced. Is there still is there still uh, Pro Fourteen in Italy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, no. you know they what? Apparently, hey, Benetton is playing great. But yeah, dude, seriously, Benetton is playing well. It's funny oh my god! You, you because I mean, so you're not gonna put that guy in zebra. Zebra is like sucking right now. I mean, I mean, zebra has always sucked, but you know, you want to put when, that guy in Benetton. When you hear people defending Italy, they're usually like, "No, Italy's getting much better. They're, they're only losing by like 15 now. It's not bad." <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. But yeah, it's true though. No, but people so generally like, defend them like this all the time. It, it may be true, but it's still like, you know, we're one spot in the world behind Italy. Just putting that out there. Hey, you, you know it's gotten bad when they're actually seriously considering regular relegation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not. No one is. No one is like considering. Fans are. Fan, well, fans. Yeah, are. but I mean, fans right. are, of course. But but are like no none of the none of the home nations people like that are serious or I mean we saw how the home nations types reacted to my. It wasn't a troll. It was an honest. It was an honest topic trying to be like, why is this the only Grand Slam? Um, because if so, hey, it's a baseball term. Get it out your but, mouth. What, it's, what, it's everything well, I mean, because the Grand Slam is used in sports all over the place. In golf and tennis. Real quick, guys. Real quick. I need to mention this. I'm already sick and tired of this little boys club thing they have in Europe where it's just like the, the, the home nations and that's it. Like no one can come in and shake things up because it's already bad for them. I'm already tired of this mentality. They need to Seriously, get out of the high horse and let all the people come in and play. Like, what the hell? Well, relegate. So here's the thing: 
the only way for that to happen is for uh, you know teams to consistently beat the lower end, uh, you know, Six Nations teams like Scotland and Italy, and you know Wales sometimes all the time, right? So we saw. Everyone's like, that's a third-choice squad for the Welsh. Well, no, it was a capped side, so maybe you didn't have all the all your best players available, and maybe you didn't select all your best players, but you guys played like trash and you cheated, and you still won, so who cares? But um, it, it was close, but it wasn't a victory. If you want to, like, get – if we want to actually have relegation with the wreck, uh, the top wreck team has to beat whoever they got. If, Plus it's you – know, it's a private organization. Yeah. This is actually, we just got a comment about yeah. this. It's you make more money from people going to Rome than Tbilisi, despite the fact yeah. that Tbilisi is apparently a wonderful place to go to. Yeah, of course. So like the two, the, the, the two places where it's prop, it would happen if the teams were good, Spain or Germany. Yeah. Spain yeah. Or Germany. yeah Spain yeah, was as good I'm- as Georgia consistently for the past like 20 years. Then I think they'd be like, Oh, we should consider Spain. Like they would actually do that, but, yeah. mm-hmm. but yeah, Georgia so is actually playing Italy this November, so we can finally at least put either fuel the fire so much worse, or people will say, "Okay, that's it; they lost their chance." Well, so all right, fellas. Well, I think uh, yeah, unless there's any final comments, that's probably going to wrap us up tonight. Oh, that's it. <sighs> Anybody got anything on on our I'd way like out to, here? I'd like to go to bed. Come on. It's like what time? It's like eight o'clock in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, no, say, that, no. that's my line, Aaron. Come on. Serious. Nah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. By the way, guys, uh, quick, <laughs> quick shout outs to the Roosters of Querétaro in the Mexican League because they just lost. I noticed one hundred and eleven to five to a team called the Wolves. <laughs> so one hundred and eleven to five. I swear, to God, this that is the Mexican me. League. Not to. Continue this, but I think Cal or Life beat a team like 150 to 10. Um, okay, so I take back what I said. I take that. <laughs> take back the so somebody beat Colorado like 100. It was like 122 to zero. God damn it, <laughs> dude! I take back my so shadow for the Mexican team. They're not that bad. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, guys, let me let, let me let me take you guys off. So first of all, everyone, thank you for listening to episode 27. Of the earful of their rugby podcast, uh, we thought we were not going to have any anything to talk about, and we went to like almost two hours, is quite something. Now, <laughs> make sure to guys to follow us, of course, on YouTube at earful of their podcast. Make sure to, of course, uh, subscribe to us. Uh, make sure to also give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and and Twitter, and of course, make sure to check out our beautiful website, which is earfulofdirt.com. Also, really important, if you haven't done so already, add us to your podcast feed on iTunes, Acast, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM. Leave us a review. Definitely want to hear from you. And finally, make sure to call us on our phone number, which is the following, 1-720-600-2679. Again, that's 1-720-600-2679. Leave us a voicemail. And, of course, make sure to join our live broadcast here on YouTube, which I haven't mentioned, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, of course, now we have Discord, so now you can follow us on Discord as well as the chat on YouTube as well. So we're giving you more ways to access the content as we pull it to you live. 
So with that said, guys, uh, again, my name is Victor. That was Corey. That was Aaron. That was Josh. That was Dan. And we'll be seeing you guys next week. Thank you, and have a great night. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us.